So, uh, you know, I, when I was in college, I was really into music, loved going to concerts and stuff, and there was this, uh, there was this music festival that my friends and I would go to uh, at the beginning of the summer, like every year. And I remember one year in particular, uh, this thing took place in May, and one year it was just like stiflingly hot. I mean, just miserable. It's an outdoor festival, you know, and it's just so hot. And I remember this year in particular, uh, the, the, the festival grounds were kind of set up where there was a main stage at one end, a main stage at the other, and all kinds of little stages and concessions and stuff in the middle. And I remember this year, uh, I found my way to this concession stand that was like right in the middle of the festival grounds. And everybody else was flocking there as well because they had these like incredible ice cold lemonades and it was so hot. Like everybody wanted to get this refreshing drink. And so I get there and I try to get into line, a line that quickly devolved into a mob because everybody's trying to get to the counter and make their order. And it took forever for me to get to the counter. And I'm certainly kind of frustrated. Like, man, what is taking so long? I'm missing like my favorite band, whatever. I'm kind of frustrated. And then I get to the counter and I see what's happening behind the counter. There's this one woman and she's the one person who's like trying to take everybody's order all by herself. And then she's submitting food orders to the guys who are making food, but every drink order, she's having to go and get it herself and bring it out. And so every single person that comes up, she's taking an order, getting a drink, bringing it back. People are like, oh, you got my order wrong. And they're like, people are yelling at her. By the time I get to the window, people are literally like, you guys are cussing. I mean, they're just angry at this woman because she can't move fast enough for them. And I confess that in the moment, I allowed myself to kind of fall into that way of thinking as well. I'm going, man, this is ridiculous. Like, what is wrong with this place? Get another worker in. They're just going to know what she's doing. That's the stuff that's going through my mind. And in the middle of that, I look up and I see this young woman that's behind the counter. And she just gets to this point where somebody's like yelling at her. And she just puts her head down. And she just does this, like hands on her temples and just starts rubbing. And she just looks like she's about to cry. <laughs> and here in this moment, I see this little hand come out from the mob and it's got two ibuprofen in it <laughs> being held out. And, and she opens her eyes and she sees it. And I like see this hand. I look, it was like this little hippie lady, you know, who's just like moved by compassion. And she holds out these ibuprofen. I'm assuming they were ibuprofen. Anyways, I don't know. And, and she holds them out and, and the, girl, the girl just tears well up in her eyes. And she takes them and she just says, thank you. You know, and she just stops. It was like everything else melted away. She gets her water. She takes her ibuprofen or whatever it was. And then immediately, you know, she like, she goes back. And she's like re-energized by the compassion of this woman. And I remember, I remember in that moment very clearly, like God like grabbed me. And he said, and he said Aaron, this woman that you don't know has something that you're missing. You know, she was just as inconvenienced as everybody else. She was just put out by the weight as everybody else. And yet she was moved not by frustration and anger, but by compassion. And you know, I, I, I'm convicted that how often I let the circumstances around me dictate how I treat the people in front of me. I, I do it with my friends. I do it with my family. I do it with my coworkers, I do it with my waiters, I do it with people that cut me off in traffic. Like I let the circumstances around me dictate how I treat or act towards the people that are right in front of me. And God used this moment to show me, he said, Aaron, this random woman that you don't know, she has the thing that you're missing if you want to keep growing in your likeness to Jesus. You know, and we're gonna be looking at a story today that many of us have heard lots of times. If you grew up in church, you've heard it countless times, you could tell it, you could come up here and tell the story. If you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard this story and you may not have even known that it was a Jesus story, but Jesus is the one who told it. I don't want us to get lost in the familiarity of the story this morning though. 
I want us to come to God asking this question, God, how are you trying to awaken us to the people that are all around us? What are you awakening me to when it comes to how I treat the person that is in my path? So let's look at the story, Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25. It says, on, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I love how Jesus says that. Like, yeah, do those things. Like, that's the easiest thing. Just love God perfectly. Love your neighbor perfectly. Do that. You're good, you know? And, and, but the man, listen to what he says, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And I want to pause right there. You know, the questions that a person asks reveal so much about what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their head. You, know, you start with the very first question. This guy shows up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this question reveals something about the way he perceives life with God. He comes into a religious context. He comes up to a man that he believes is a religious teacher, and his first question is, what do I do to get what you're offering? And I think what he's fallen for is thinking that, that life with God is about finding the way to life the way to life. But you see, Jesus so often has so much more than that. He's not just interested in offering us a way to life as much as he wants to offer us a way of life. But when we fall into the way to life thinking, it does something to the way that we approach the ways of God. I want you to think about anytime you want something really badly, we live in such a consumer culture, right? That you want something, you can find it and you can probably find a good deal on it. And typically what we do is we will shop until we find the best deal. We are programmed to kind of think, hey, if I want something, my goal is to find the best deal to get that thing. And when we slide into this way of thinking with God, as I believe this man has, he, he says, what is the way to life? Way to life thinking leads us to, to minimize that which is being asked. We want to reduce the cost that is asked of us in order to get the thing that we're after. He says, what is the least I have to do to qualify? And that leads him to his second question. He gives the answer and Jesus says, yeah, do this and you'll live. And the man says, he wants to justify himself because he's living in this way to life mentality. He says, okay, so, so who exactly is my neighbor? In other words, how can I reduce the call of what I've just said to the least amount possible to be able to get the life that you're offering? And I think it's so easy, honestly, to look at this guy and go, man, this guy just missed it. What's wrong with this guy? He missed it, you know, and we kind of make fun of him and man, he's trying to justify himself. He's self-righteous. But guys, don't we do this all the time? We come to Jesus and we hear the call that he gives us. We see the way of life that he offers, but we are stuck thinking in a way to life mentality. And so we begin to reduce the thing that he's held out for us. We open up the, the word and Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. And we go, okay, love my enemies. Who, who all does that really include? Like how much, how much, how far can a person hurt me before I have to stop loving them, Jesus? How, what does it mean for me to really love? We want to reduce the call. Or we hear, we hear the New Testament say, hey, flee sexual immorality. And we go, well, that's kind of broad. 
I mean, Jesus, I mean, really, like, what's the, what does that mean? Like, where's the line where sexual immorality begins, and how close can I get to that before I go over it? Right? I mean, don't we do this? Or, or, or we ask, you know, like Jesus says, hey, be, be generous. I want you to give. It's more blessed to give than receive. And we go, okay, but how much? How much, is, how much do I have to give before it becomes more of a blessing? Like, where, where's that line? We, we do this all the time because we're functioning in this way to life mentality that what Jesus holds out is the way to life instead of a way of life. But I love Jesus. He's not interested in reducing the call. He's not interested in reducing the cost. He's always expanding it. And so he sees the guy's heart. He sees that way to life mentality. And he says, I've got a story for you. And then he proceeds, keep reading, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord out of Luke 10. And I love, I love this story. I mean, there's so many things you can unpack in this story, right? I mean, there's, there's the, the social, political, racial tension there between a Jew and a Samaritan. The Jewish people couldn't stand the Samaritans. You know, there, there's the, the idea of the priest and the Levite that were supposed to be the religious leaders that are passing by on the other side of the road. You know, I think so often though, we come to this story and if we place ourselves in the story, we want to place ourselves in the role of the good Samaritan, right? Because Jesus ends it, he says, go and do likewise. And so we, we read the story and we go, oh, go and do likewise. And unfortunately, I think sometimes what happens is we get to the end of the story, we hear the go and do likewise, and we're still thinking in that way to life mentality. And we walk away from a story like this and we go, okay, what's the good deed I've got to do this week? Where's the, where's the, where's the, you're in need, I'm on it. You know, and it's like, what is the good deed? Because we're going, what is the way to life? And Jesus goes, no, I'm, I'm not giving you a formula here. I'm offering you a way of life. You know, the ironic thing in this story is the good Samaritan wasn't even looking for a good deed. He's just on a journey and he stops. He sees a need and he meets the need. He's got this compassionate, servant-scented heart that moves him to take care of this man. You know, I wonder what would happen if instead of seeing ourselves in the story as the good Samaritan, if we began to see ourselves as the man on the side of the road. You know, many of us go, well, that's kind of hard. I've never been jumped, never been beaten, never been robbed, never been left for dead. You know, but the reality is every single one of us have had moments in our lives where we were the person in need, all of us. You, you cannot walk through this life without at some point being the person in need. Now, it's not always a physical need. Sometimes it's an emotional need. Sometimes it's a relational need. Sometimes it is a spiritual need, but all of us have found ourselves in the place of need. 
But what I love about this story is you can even go a step further. Instead of saying, what if it was me on the side of the road, seeing ourselves as the person in need, I wonder what begins to happen if we see Jesus in that place. You see, what's amazing about this story is that Jesus would literally find himself in this place. Jesus would be beaten. Jesus would be left for dead. You see, I'm so convinced that Jesus sees us and he sees that tendency in us to go, okay, what's the way to life? What's the the minimal amount I've got to do? What what do I have to do to earn this thing? And Jesus goes, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. The weight is too much. The cost is too big. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can't attain it. It is beyond you. You can't do it. Jesus sees us as the person on the side of the road in need, and he knows there's nothing we can do for ourselves. And so Jesus doesn't just become the good Samaritan. Jesus comes in and takes our place on the side of the road. That Jesus knows that we can't bear the way to life. So he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus would go to the cross and die and his death and resurrection would open a door to a way of life. Listen to this, a way of life that is life-giving even when it costs you that Jesus would be the guy on the side of the road, that he would die, that his father would come to him in compassion, the Holy Spirit would revive him and bring him to life. And Jesus would say, hey, I have a new way of life, a new way of life that when you step into it, it will cost you, but man, it will be life-giving because I'm the one leading you there. That Jesus says, I don't want you just to jump through the hoops anymore. Guys, this fast, this is not our efforts to do a bunch of good things before God to get him to like us more. Guys, the fast is us going, man, Jesus, I want to be in on your way of life. And I know that no matter what it costs me, it's going to be life-giving because you're the one leading the charge. So we make this shift from a way to life to a way of life. And I think something happens in our hearts when we begin to view this story a little differently. You see, when we begin to look at this story and we see ourselves as the person in need, then we begin to see ourselves in the very real people on our paths that are in need. That when you can see yourself as the person that has been in need of service, of need and encouragement, in need of physical blessing, in need of whatever, that when you start to see it in other people, you begin to see yourself in them. But you go that second step and you see Jesus in the person on the path, well, then it begins to open our eyes to begin to see Jesus in the faces of the very real people that are standing right in front of us in every single moment. And I'm convinced that when we see ourselves in others, when we see Jesus in others, that is the way of life that leads to compassion. You know, compassion literally just means to suffer with or suffer alongside of, to come alongside in suffering. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to is, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open your eyes to a way of life where you see yourselves and others, every single other person. You love your neighbor as yourself, and that means that every single person now has humanity in them, has the image of God in them. He goes, I want you to see me in every single person, in every single moment that comes across your path. And that is what moves us to compassion and when the man says, well, the Samaritan, he's, he's the one that was a neighbor. Jesus says, go, go and do likewise. He's inviting us to this life of compassion for every person that steps across our path. And I, I, I think there's a lot of things that keep us from moving into this. 
I think that the, the goal is really simple, right? The goal, is really, the goal is that we go, God, will you awaken me, open my eyes to both recognize the need, but then also respond to the need. That's the goal. When he says, go and do likewise, he's not saying, go find your one good deed for the week. He's saying, listen, live a life where everywhere you go, you're able to recognize the need in other people and out of humility and compassion to respond to that need in real time. And no matter what it costs you, because I'm the one leading it, it will be life-giving. But I, I, think, I think before we can recognize the need, we've got to understand the things that keep us from this. I think sometimes we, we miss the need. We, we don't recognize the need largely just because of how busy we are. Man, we live, I mean, I don't need to do a whole sermon on this. It's like in the air we breathe, right? We, we feel this, there's always the next thing and we're always busy and so it's hard to slow down. Sometimes time is our greatest resource and when we see a need and we know it's gonna cost us time, oh, it feels like a huge cost. But sometimes it's not just because we're busy, sometimes it's because we're afraid. Sometimes we recognize the need of the person right in front of us, but man, it's kind of afraid you step into that. Man, how long is this gonna require? How much time am I gonna have to give this person? You know, I love this story for so many reasons because the Good Samaritan, it cost him some time and it cost him some money, but it's not like, it's like he, dropped, he, he literally took the guy and entrusted him to somebody else. He saw his role in the game to get this guy to the help that he needed. But sometimes we're afraid, man, if I step into this, oh, it's gonna cost oh, time, money, emotional energy. I just don't, I don't have it. Sometimes we're too busy. Sometimes we're afraid. And I think, I think sometimes we're entitled. You know, I think about the woman the woman at that music festival that I talked about earlier. Honestly, she was in need of a compassionate touch. She needed somebody to say, hey, it's okay. Like, we're with you. We're just like you. But oftentimes in the culture that we swim in, if somebody is looked at it as supposed to be serving me and they don't do it in the way that I want to, it's kind of like, well, pff, pff, what's this about? You know, like, you're not doing, you're supposed to, you're, I'm, you, you owe this to me. I'm giving you money to give me this thing and you're not giving me the, and, and we miss the humanity in the very person that we're having this transaction with because we're so entitled to get what we think we deserve. But I think Jesus wants to lead us into this place where we begin to recognize that we're not afraid and we're willing to slow down. And, and it's not about us, it's about seeing Jesus in them. He's saying, go and do likewise. Go and have eyes to see, recognize the needs that are right before you. I think a lot of this just starts by asking God to help us see it. And that's part of what we're gonna do here in just a minute. We're gonna take some time to pray. You know, in the middle of this fasting season, we always take time to pray together when we gather. So we're gonna do that in a minute. And I think our, our main prayer is, God, will you awaken me and help me to recognize the people right before me that have very real needs? And I think the second part of this is being able to respond. Responding to that which you recognize is really just putting compassion into action, like seeing it, recognizing it, and then being moved to respond out of compassion for the person in front of you. Now, I wanna make this a little more concrete because I know I'm talking kind of vague a little bit. You know, th this, this covers every single, it can be every, any moment, any given moment where God puts a person in front of you with a need that he's inviting you to recognize and respond to. You know, sometimes it's the very obvious things, like the physical needs that we see. Okay, so sometimes it's, it's, it's the person who's stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire. And God goes, hey, I want, you to, I want you to go help. And you feel that thing and you're like, oh man, I don't have the time. You know, and he's going, hey, I want you to respond. You've been there, you've done that. And so it's this invitation, this physical need to stop and be a neighbor 
to that person in need. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's your next door neighbor who, who gets that cancer diagnosis and they need somebody to bring them a meal or they need somebody to help with the yard work. Like sometimes it's that basic and right in front of us, right? Sometimes it's not quite as obvious. Sometimes it's the waiter that you have and the service they provide isn't quite up to your standards. <laughs> they're a little grumpy or they're slow. And Jesus is going, hey, this person right here, there's something that you have for them. I think about a friend of mine um, when I lived in Canada, and he, uh, he, he had planned this thing to start meeting with some other pastors that lived in the neighborhood that he lived in. And so they decided they were going to meet together at a restaurant to kind of talk through their neighborhood, pray together, hear what God is doing in their churches. And so they picked this little Chinese restaurant that was right in the neighborhood where they all lived. None of them had ever been there before. They walk in and they sit down. And he said the service was terrible, like so slow. The food was lukewarm. Nobody was friendly. Nobody smiled. And they were all just kind of like, this is the worst place ever to get together and talk about Jesus, you know? And so they, they were so mad that he kind of gypped the guy on his tip because the service was so bad. Well, he said he got home that night and he's like laying down in bed and the Lord just like really just like put a finger on his heart and was like, hey, what was that about? And he's like, well, you know, God, the guy had a terrible service. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. He goes, hey, can you remind me what's at the center of the gospel again? And, and, and he came to this word grace. And God's like, what does grace mean? He's like, oh yeah, grace is unearned, unmerited favor. <laughs> and he's like, is that what I've given you? And my friend was like, yes, Lord, that's what you've given me. He's like, then why aren't you giving that to others? So he gets deeply convicted about this guy that he gypped on his tip. And so this group of pastors, they're going to get together the next month. And so they start, you know, sending out text messages, hey, where are we going to meet? And he says, hey, let's go back to the same place. And they're like, what? Why do we want to go out to that same place? He says, hey, I think we need to go there. And, and he had this phrase, we need to go and practice gospel tipping. And, and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, gospel tipping. You know, the, the gospel is all about the grace of God that we haven't earned. I think we need to go and tip this guy for more than what he's earned. And they all think he's crazy, but they agree to do it. So they go to the rest restaurant. They walk in. Nobody remembers them. And the same thing. Service is terrible. The food is lukewarm. Nobody says hi. Nobody smiles. But they leave this super generous tip. And so they leave the restaurant. Nothing happens. Well, they decide to come back a month later. They walk in a month later. They walk in the front door. Hey! Uh, like, they remembered them. The host knew who they were. The waiter shows up at the table with a smile on his face. Like, I'm so glad you guys are here today. You know, like their food was piping hot. Like it was a totally different experience. And so they tipped them again. And they started going back month after month after month. And by the time he was telling me this story, he had a close friendship with the waiter that waited on their table. He had met the owner of the restaurant and that became a part of their neighborhood to, or ministry together in the neighborhood was to meet at this restaurant and to serve these folks that met them with cold faces and bad service. You see, guys, God will bring people into your path that you may not even immediately realize that there's a need, but he's going, will you respond with grace, with compassion, with kindness, with love, with mercy, even when it's not earned? Will you do it? Because that is how you step into my way of life. And sometimes it will cost you, but man, it will be life-giving no matter what the cost is. You know, sometimes it's not a physical need. Sometimes it's an emotional a relational need. I think about my marriage. You know, there was this time where Amy, my wife, was talking to me and she said, hey, Aaron, I feel, like, I feel like early on in our marriage, we used to pray together all the time. We used to talk together about God and you'd pray for me. And she's like, I just feel like that's not as common anymore. And honestly, you know, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I, do you, I mean, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I, pray, I pray all the time, you know? I'm like, I'm super defensive. 
And she's like, no, I, I know. And, and she was just like, she wasn't mad at me. She was like, I feel like we don't pray together. And I was so defensive that I walked away from that conversation, just kind of walled off. And I'll never forget the next morning, I get up and I, I had been prayer walking my street. And so I get up the next morning and I'm walking through my front yard, getting ready to step foot on my street to go pray for my neighbors. And the Lord, it felt like he literally just grabbed my shoulders and stopped me. And he's like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> And I'm like, wait, and I can feel it in me. Like, it's like this. I didn't hear any voices or anything. Man, I just feel this block. And what I, what I heard in my heart was, how in the world can you go and pray for your neighbors when you're not even willing to humble yourself and pray for your wife? You guys, sometimes the neighbor that God is inviting you to show compassion, mercy, and love to is the most obvious person right in front of your face. We so often want to do the good deed for the stranger, but are we willing to show the compassion and kindness to the one who loves us most? For some of you, it's your spouse. For some of you, it's your roommate. For some of you, it's your kids, a family member, a parent. And God is putting them right in front of you, and he's going, hey, will you recognize? Will you respond? Will you allow my spirit to move you to compassion and to humility? And so here's what we want to do this morning. I want to give us some time to, to talk and to pray. Okay, and we have a slide that we're gonna put up here on the screen. And let me, before you put that up, let me, let me say this. You know, some of you, you may be visiting and it may feel awkward. You don't know the people around you. I mean, it, you, you have a couple options. One, you can embrace the awkwardness. We do it all the time. So it's just, you know, it's like, <laughs> chances are the person next to you has done this before. I, hey guys, let's make everybody feel safe, okay? Um, but if you don't want to, it's okay. Like if you wanna pray by yourself, that's totally fine. You can say, I, I think I need to spend some time praying by myself. That's cool as well. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna put the slide up and it's got a question. And I put the question there intentionally because I want you to start thinking, but then there's some prayer prompts. So go ahead and put the slide up. You know, the, the first question kind of asks the question, hey, are you aware of any needs, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual, in the lives of those around you? And I want us to ask this question, but to protect us from sliding into that way to life mentality, we're gonna stop and go, wait a minute, this is a way of life. We need Jesus to do this. And so there's two prayer prompts. Basically, God, we help me recognize the people around me that you're inviting me to love as I love myself. And then second, God, will you give me courage, humility, and compassion that I need to respond to the people around me with your love? So we're gonna take just a few minutes to do this. Um, I'll come back up here in just a minute to kind of send us to communion and worship and all that. But right now, we'll turn on some music. I want you to just turn to the people around you, people you came with, spend some time answering this question, and spend some time praying together. Let's do this.